This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado, The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. And here's Fox creeping forward. He pulls up, 18-footer. Aaron Fox puts the Kings on top. Makes one, stakes twice, gives the belly. 35-foot three for the win. When we're done, we can go chop it up, eat, golf, whatever you want to do. But 40, 48 minutes, I ain't about them games. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez. No Rich on here today, but I'm joined by a special guest. We have Dane Moore of the Dane Moore NBA Podcast, covers the Minnesota Timberwolves. How you doing today, Dane? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Talk some uh, Kings and Wolves hoops. Yeah, I uh, definitely appreciate you coming on, man. And today we primarily have you on here today because... One of the uh, most notable names on the GM candidates list for the Sacramento Kings, as Adam Simon and Trajan Langdon have now officially pulled out, is uh, Sachin Gupta. And, you know, I wanted, who currently um, is the executive VP of basketball operations for the Minnesota Timberwolves. And you've had some interactions with, we've, we've done some profiles for GM candidates uh, before the list came out, and neither one of our two people in Perry or Hinky were mentioned, but, you know, we have some connections to Hinky here with Gupta, um, and the way I wanted to start, man, was what was your first impressions of Gupta when he was brought over to Minnesota, maybe like your initial interactions with him uh, when he was brought onto that front office? Yeah, man. Uh, well, first of all, I'll say it's it's Sashin Gupta, um, which is definitely you know I, I messed that name up too uh, the first the first time I met him. But uh, that first time I did meet Sashin was uh, the Timberwolves put on or had a bunch of uh, us Timberwolves beat writers to a Minnesota Twins game and kind of like rented a, like a team room area where we all got to kind of meet the new front office, uh, new coaching staff, and all all that and and it was funny because I had I had heard Sashin's name. I knew his connection, you know, to to the process. And I don't know. It's just kind of funny how sometimes we we shape pictures or ideas of people, you know, based off of I, I don't know hearsay or uh, whatever. What just what kind of played out? And it was just uh, it was just he was just a really normal guy and um, like totally 
such a departure from like the analytics nerd um, sort of <laughs> narrative that probably surrounded him and in, in the process and just kind of everything in Philadelphia there. And he was just, he was just an extremely normal person who um, is, is really young. I think he's still in his uh, late thirties, I believe. Uh, and, and yeah, it was, was just, um, I was just impressed with his, it was really striking to me his, his ability to not only interact with a layman person like myself, but also just listen. He, he struck me as a as a really good listener, and I always kind of just generally in the world think that some of the smartest people are some of the the best listeners. Yeah, all the reading up I did on Sasha, and it's hilarious. I asked you the pronunciation right before we started this, and still totally butchered it. Um, <laughs> all of the the reading up I did on him, yeah, I mean the humbleness was mentioned repeatedly. Um, and, and just to kind of get into his background a little bit, I did, uh, there is a computer science degree from MIT and then later an MBA from Stanford. And, you know, one art, uh, one thing pointed out, especially with that uh, team of guys that was working with Hinky in Philadelphia was none of them, or I shouldn't say none of them, but uh, the head guys there really didn't have any prior basketball experience themselves in regards to playing, um, but we we see that being more com- uh, more common. And if I if I misspeak or have something wrong in any way, feel free to cut me off. Um, I, I believe it's the same way as Rosas there. What's your impression on guys that don't have this prior basketball experience in regards to playing themselves? Um, like Sacramento had a pretty bad experience where you just brought in a former player, Divock, but no, had no prior front office experience um, and going through that process. So what's your impressions on a guy that hasn't had um, any playing time or coaching experience himself? Yeah, I think, I think both can work. Um, we tend to, it tends to really blow up. It seems when the, the player ones don't work, right? Uh, just because there's almost sort of an arrogance to the, I know how to do this. I've been an elite basketball player my whole life, and and that means I just know the game and everything better than than ninety nine point nine percent of the world. Um, and and oftentimes I think what's what's sort of kind of catching up with that more and more um, in the NBA is that is that those guys like Divac or you know whoever some of the other former players who have fizzled out is that they are competing against people like Sasha Gupta who may not have the playing experience and may, you know, may not have the, the game experience, but are far superior in game theory. And I, I mean, I just know that obviously Brendan, you know, the, the big deal with the, the Kings and the Sixers back in the day, I mean, Sasha was Yankees number two in Philadelphia who, who fleeced the fleeced the Kings there? So there's this kind of competitive disadvantage. I think that the the former players are developing, but at the same time, I think to be fair, an underrated part of a former player being a GM is the fact that they can relate with the other players, um, and and it's important to be the the head decision maker. I think to have the trust at least of your star players, at least of your starters to kind of believe in what it is you're doing. And you can't just have this, like you could be a non-basketball player, but you still got to be like a basketball guy and find, and find ways to relate because I think that's, that's critical in relating to your players, relating to your fan base. Like at the end of the day, this is basketball. So 
sometimes I think that's where people like Sam Hinkie missed the mark and where they were ultimately were fired is not necessarily checking that like sort of human interaction box. It's interesting. Do you have uh, maybe a theory on why like Sashin, so Hinkie with the whole process situation, like you mentioned, Sashin was the VP of basketball ops for that uh process the Sixers I have from 2014 to 16 and also was a consultant right before that it's interesting to me that like Hinky is was kind of the face of it and he seems to be like banished from coming back into the NBA because it was terrible (laughs) PR from them yet you know Sashin was given a lot of credit under uh, more more quietly yet it's kind of bizarre right like he doesn't have this attached to him sort of thing right yeah where like Hinky has become a martyr and and Sasha and, like if I can speak from Minnesota here like when that when that sacri- the report of him Sacramento wanting to interview him like at least judging from you know what I see is like Minnesota fans are like no no we can't lose Gupta we can't lose Gupta like he's the trade machine guru he we need him to make all these trades and everything and it's 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 funny it feels like we are kind of speaking out of both sides of the mouth our mouths there but it does highlight I think with such which is such an important thing for being a GM these days or president of basketball operations is you got to nail the PR element of it. Like you're a politician. It's Sam Hink, if you're Sam Hinkie or Vadi Vivads or Danny Ainge, whatever, like you are a politician and you need to be selling yourself and what it is you're doing. Like we had such a problem here with Tom Thibodeau because he was just like, the winning will solve all the problems. The winning will solve all the problems. There was no, there was no connection there. There was no, there was no showing behind you know, behind the curtains of, of what's going on. And and I think that's I think that's why Kinky just took all the brunt of it because he was so stone faced. He was such a bad politician, even if he was a brilliant, you know, transactional general manager. But I think Sachin just wasn't in the limelight there in any sort of media way. And he's just a very like diminutive, quiet guy. So but it, but it is kind of funny. At the end of the day, if you believe, which I think this is a bad take, like if you believe Sam Hinkie shouldn't be running an organization, well, then Sasha Gupta shouldn't be running an organization either because, like, those two guys were totally in lockstep of what their theories are of, you know, creating a basketball roster. Right, and, yeah, Hinkie was one of the guys we dove into and, and you know, the process – um, was abusing the system in a way, but it was, you know, the future was, was the goal, where it was an yeah, eventual championship. but it was the system. It was the system. Right. And, and, I mean, I just know from, you know, from, from talking to Sashin, and, and you know, he acknowledges, and if, if you talk to him, he, he would acknowledge that they messed up the PR element of that. Sam Hinkie would acknowledge they messed up the PR element of that. Like, they couldn't just hide behind this process sign for years and then, and just be like, it's going to be good eventually. Like, that that wasn't enough. Like, yet at the same time, it was the most optimal strategy or one of the most optimal strategy for building it, like taking a team from mediocrity into potentially becoming something special. Right. And and Hinky and, and Sashin were out of there before they really got to see it through fully. So I guess it's given an incomplete grade, but I, I think that, you know, they yeah. were – successful in their goal there. Um, and, and again, I like that they were so future focused um, and a long-term goal there. And 
yeah, being connected to that team as well as um, Maury and it, it's a lot of it's a lot of trade guys. And then obviously Sashin developed the ESPN trade machine, uh, which my understanding is that kind of what led to him becoming a CBA expert before he got involved with any front offices. So he's going to have this attachment to him of being a trade guy. And Rosa seems to be a guy that's extremely aggressive there as well. Um, hopefully this isn't like just me being irresponsible asking you to speculate, but do you think that it's fair for Sashin to be viewed at as a trade guy if he were to get his a trade-focused GM, if he were to get his own opportunity, or is it simply just the guys that he's been under and doing what he's been asked? Sashin is a strategy guy. He's a, he is going to out-strategy you. That, that is the plan. So if that means trading is what you need. It's kind of based on what your roster is, right? Like take the Timberwolves, for example, like Rosas and Gupta in, in the Wolves front office, like inherit this, this Tom Thibodeau, like Timberwolves roster that, you know, isn't, isn't going to be emblematic of the ethos of, of what they want to do when they want to space the floor, they want to play faster, they want to be younger. So the strategy move there in Gupta's eyes is obviously like we got to upend the roster and, you know, they've, they've been running the Wolves for one year and there's only two players on the Timberwolves that are there still from when they, you know, when they inherited the team and Carl Anthony Towns and Josh Kogi. So, so yeah, so that, the, the strategy there was flip, flip, flip as much as you can. But I think you can look at like, you can look at Houston as an example. I'm not saying like Maury is a conservative trader, but they've also like, they've built accordingly because they had like their main piece in place in Harden or, you know, over like since they acquired Harden and they've kind of like created on the margins. They've been more, they've been more creative in free, free agency, whether it was getting PJ Tucker with the MLE or just cycling a bunch of cycling in a bunch of dudes on like minimum contracts and that sort of thing. So I think like the way to think of, of Sashin is he's just like a game theorist and is the type of person who's going to, you know, get the whiteboard out there and, and play out option one, option two, all the way out to option 100, and, and you know, use theory to, to come out with what the best, you know, what the best choice is there. My impression from my readings was a very outside-the-box thinker, and, and uh, one part from the John Krasinski piece on him that was just phenomenal and everybody should read. So good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if if Kings fans are interested in Sasha Gupta, you should for sure read this story. And one of my favorites is that they go to this Houston rodeo and <laughs> he, there's all these people that are attempting to pull, um, pull calves into this, um, into this ring as a competition sort of thing. And they're talking about it the day after and, it's a rodeo, yeah. Yeah, and <laughs> good for the day after the quote is, it was interesting, why don't they just turn around and pull it the opposite way? The calf would pull against them and walk right into the ring. And it says the room fell silent. And I think that's just hilarious. Like, it's so outside-the-box thinking, yet, like, it just it seems like it's it, so basic. It, right, right. Yeah, he, he has this way of, or as, as John describes it in the article, of, like, taking complex situations, pulling them apart thread by thread to, like, highlight the thread that makes you go, oh, why didn't I think about it, of it that way? And, like, to, to elaborate on your picture there, there's these, like, 
kids who are pulling on bulls and they're trying to be strong and pull them through this gate and in, and you win the competition if you're able to get the bull to, like, come into the area. And what Sachin's theory was was just go stand on the opposite side of them and pull, you know, pull against them, and the bull's going to beat you, so it's going to pull walk itself right into the gate for you. Totally obvious, right? If you, if you think about it now in hindsight, you're like, how have they not done this? But there's a whole rodeo. There's, like, probably a whole competition where nobody was able to do it. So, so yeah, that, that's just kind of the way he's wired. Like, he's an MIT dude. He's got an MBA from – from Stanford, he's clearly like smart, which probably almost every GM is. But it's just, I think, I, I go back to what I said before, and he's just like a, such a listener and such a thinker, where he's, I think he just spends more time like processing stuff than maybe you or I do, um, or just the average person does, because you know he's trying to pull apart those things thread by thread, and it's a, he's an interesting dude. Yeah, to say the least, for sure, um, definitely a theorizer, and uh, I think there also was a bit of time that after the 76ers, he went back to the Houston Rockets, and uh, you mentioned the, you know, sort of building around Harden. My impression I got was that he was also um, a, you know, it's it's hard to tell how much of a contributor each guy in the front office is for these moves, but he was given a little bit of credit for um, Harden being brought in to Houston as well, at least a part of that move, um, and was only there for one year before he was assistant GM of the Detroit Pistons from 2018 and 19. I actually wasn't really able to find anything about that. Um, Do you possibly have any knowledge on his time in Detroit? Well, yeah, it was the, it was a weird situation um, because it was he kind of was there, on, but only very temporarily. You know, after Stan Van Gundy got fired, and then they had Stefanski kind of took over, and so they they brought him in in that little window right there that was between. Um, I, I might have only been like six months between then and when Rosas was hired who's process is the Timberwolves new president of basketball operations. And and by the time like Rosas and Gupta are super tight. So I just know from having talked to Rosas, he was like, if I ever got a president of basketball operations job, like it was a, you know, I always knew that Sasha was going to be the one coming with me. But Sasha had just signed this contract with the Pistons. So it was actually kind of dragged out where where Gupta wasn't actually officially with the Wolves until um, until, like, the start of this season. So he missed last season's draft, uh, kind of the off season and, and everything. So there was he was under contract with the with the Pistons that he had to finish out. But at the same time, like, knew, the Pistons knew he was going to Minnesota, so he wasn't very involved. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. Funky situation, for sure. Yeah. Um, and then, and then, yeah, coming to Minnesota, like you said, attached to Rosas there. Um, most of most of what I've seen was that he really was attached to different guys, um, more mainly from from uh, the time in Houston. Which, by the way, there's a ridiculous amount of guys that are just crazy basketball minds that were on that Houston uh, front office. Um, but do you know of – is there anybody that Gupta likes to bring with him? I don't know if he's even technically in a position where he's able to do that, um, but it, it seems like he more so uh, follows some of these these names that have been able to 
get themselves, like you're saying, a president of basketball operations job for Roses. Um, is, do you happen to know, is there anybody that, that Gupta, if he were to be given a opportunity like what's presented in Sacramento, that he would want to bring with? You know, that's a, that's a good question. I haven't really, hadn't really thought about that. I mean, he wasn't, like, he, when Rosas hired Gupta, he didn't hire, that was like his one guy from Houston that he brought in. Most of the other guys in the Wolves' current front office um, were, like, Joe Branch was, used to work for uh, Rock Nation as an agent, and he's another one of the assistant GMs. Another uh, guy named Gianluca Pascusi was, was with the Brooklyn Nets, and he came. So there's, there's no, like, there's nobody in the Timberwolves' current front office that, to my knowledge, that Gupta has worked with before outside of Rosa. So I don't think he would be taking anyone from the Timberwolves if he were to be hired. Um, by the Kings, so I would more so, my assumption would be, is that he would put his staff together from his previous stops being Houston, Philadelphia, and maybe even Detroit. I don't I don't know that much about that, you know, ex- exactly uh, what's going on there. But you know what, I, the one thing I, I do want to say before we get too far into this is, like, I don't think Rosas is going to, like, <laughs> I, I don't think he's going to go take the Kings job. Like, they just started this, I mean, it, it's clear that those guys have known each other for like 15 years. They have a way that they know they want to build a, a build a team together. They had that process rolling in Minnesota. They traded all these guys. They got DeAndre Russell. They got Cat. Like, they're, I think my assumption would be that Gupta's going to want to see this play out with his good friend Rosas, who they both have been wanting to do this, you know, for a long time. Um, and and I just think that, quite frankly, and I, I don't mean this to, like, rip on Sasha, but I'm not sure if he's ready for the the political part of being a GM. Um, like, there, there's a lot of front, front facing that comes with that. And Rosas takes all of that on here in Minnesota, just like Kinky took that all on in Philadelphia, as we were talking about before. Like, you know, it's like, it's like on a, a bench. Some guys, some guys never end up being the head coach. They want to be the top assistant, and that you know that's good for them. They don't want to deal with all the media crap of being needing to interview, get interviewed all the time, all this and that. And part of me wonders if that's ultimately like Sasha's, Sasha's comfort zone, and where he'll just he'll just want to stay. I would guess there's also another side of him that would eventually want to be the guy actually calling the shots, but. I, I would think that he would want some more time to get some more reps in being more of a public figure because being a being a GM in the NBA, it's a that's a you're you're a public figure and there's a there's a lot that that comes with that. So my assumption or what I would say is I think he's qualified for it. Ultimately, I don't think he's going to to leave Minnesota. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that means hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. And right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. 
Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Try out Indeed with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. You're breaking my heart, Dane. You're breaking my heart. (laughs) Clearly my favorite candidate left here. Simon and Langdon have pulled out. Um, I'll, I'll counter you a little bit here. I see where you're coming from for sure. Do you think that the the way to get that experience of being the PR guy is simply doing it, or do you think that being in these VP roles, you can also like train yourself in that a bit? I, I think it's a personality thing, Masashi. Like, yeah, I, I hear I hear what you're saying. Like that, yeah, you kind of trial by fire, fire, and you learn, but. I don't really know how to, like, describe this other than, like, Sasha's kind of like a shy, a quiet, shy guy. And and I, I, I don't know. I, I just think you kind of, like, it's always going to be – I think that was always hard if you just kind of have that person, your personality built that way to go jump into – I mean, think about how many things Zivot's had to do over the years and, and all that. Like, right. I just, I just don't know if it's ever, like, if it's ever going to be – the, the right thing for Sasha. If, if you would want that, but, but I guess that's yeah, your point. He's probably just gotta, just gotta jump into it and do it. That's it. Maybe he's not like even, I don't think it's, I think he's like 37 or something. I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong there. I just don't even think he's, it's on his mind yet. It hasn't on his mind that he's ready for that. I think he's looking at maybe the next decade of his life or five years or something of, of growing before kind of stepping into that position. That would be that would be my ultimate guess. Yeah. Uh, one other thing I'll say on that is, do you think that there could be a relationship in a way where, you know, say, Sashin's general manager and there's a president of basketball operations bought in that takes on most of the, the PR duties? Like, I mean, yep. no Sacramento fans are uh, happy with the Dumar situation, mainly because that role is super undefined. Um, seemingly for incoming GMs, but that could sort of work out nowhere. No, I agree. I agree. I think that's I think that's like what the move would be. But then if you're Sasha and you go, all right, well, who's ultimately pulling the strings? Like, does right. Dumars have last call or does Gupta have last call? Because if Gupta doesn't have last call, then why would he leave Rosas? You know, right? It's, he's just kind of changing something. I mean, I don't. Know, maybe you get more pay or, or that. I, I just I, I don't think. I just don't think you need to be incentivized to move into this, like, two-headed monster thing with Dumars or choose your, your figurehead X. Like, I think ultimately he's going to be offered a job, whether it's from the Kings or somebody else down the line, because he has a very good reputation around the league. He seems, you know, to me, to be very knowledgeable. Um, but he's going to... He's gonna to have to like want that. He's gonna to have to want that that lead role. And I'm you know not trying to play armchair psychologist. I'm just going off of you know the the conversations I've had with had with him. And 
And I think it's kind of been like this chaotic sort of run since the process, right? Where they get fired and then he's kind of out of the league for a little while and he gets back into this couple months with the Pistons and then, and then that's done. And now you're on the Timberwolves and you're like, all right, I'm with my boy Gerson. And like, here we go. We're starting things. Coronavirus. Like he just got married a couple months ago. Like I, I just don't, I'd be surprised if he is ready, is wanting to go take that on. But I haven't talked to him about it. Yeah. And, you know, I it, there is, like, the classic, there's only 30 of these jobs, but Sacramento definitely is not an appealing landing spot. Um, and, and sort of talking on that Dumar situation, there was in the piece from uh, friend of the show, Jason Anderson, I'll just read the quote here real quick, is the new balance of power within the front office and Dumar's role moving forward is still uncertain and remains a point of confusion among candidates, uh, sources said. But I'm told the new GM will be the team's top basketball official and will report directly to Randadive. So the candidates are confused, but for some reason it's coming out to the media that the GM uh, will just report straight to the owner. It's not a good look for incoming candidates and would not be surprised if that uh, made people less attracted to the job here. Um, yeah, with, with Sashin really being behind the scenes in most of his places, it was hard for me to find all too much on him. Do you feel like there's anything else that uh, we should touch on with him before I ask you a little bit about the Timberwolves draft situation? Well, I, now that you got my head running on this, like more just applying – what I understand, the, you know, Sashin to be and applied to, like, the Kings roster, like, what what direction are you thinking they would want to go with this roster transactionally um, if they did bring a guy in like Gupta who is, who is, has participated in many different trades and it kind of, you know, just looking at the Kings roster would probably, am I right to say that, you think it would sort of be a bit of an upheaval, kind of like what happened to the Wolves in the past 12 months? Yeah. I, I've been a big advocate of, you know, at this point, I already think there's a real good chance that you are the worst or one of the worst teams in the Western Conference, even if you do try to win games next year. They've been just trying to chase this eight seed, which, sure, you end a playoff drought, but you're not going to get further than an eight seed if you're just bringing in guys like uh, – like a Deadman or Trevor Ariza, Corey Joseph, guys that I liked and I actually was fans of, but, like, that's just not going to get you anywhere right now. And the roster's not as young as many people think it is, with um, Bogdanovich and Heald both being um, about 27, I, I believe it is. So, to me, yeah, I think that you move on from one of those guys. Um, you look to trade the Elisa, and you really just kind of take a – an upside guy in this bit of an underwhelming draft and focus on getting the probably the best selection possible in 2021 and yeah retooling to be to fit the timeline of De'Aaron Fox and, and Marvin Bagley right like and so I think that would be a requirement for Gupta is to, if he has if he's under any sort of pressure to putting a team together that's supposed to compete for the eighth seed I think he would look at the roster and say well no way in hell am I doing that. I think he would – I'm not saying he'd go full process with it or anything, but I think just, again, the logical – the most optimal strategy for the Kings would be to be bad next year, um, letting go or trading some of the you know competent but more expensive pieces 
so as to, you know, so as to have a, a young core that's probably going to, you know, lose a lot of games and you know, kind of come up on the upswing in three years. Like, that's the team I could see Gupta taking over. I would just just be shocked if he accepted a job with any sort of, like, make the playoffs next year mandate out of, you know, from Ranadive. And I do worry that, you know, maybe that is what Vivek is, is hoping for. But, you know, I'll say, like, I think the fan base would have no problem getting behind a young, exciting roster, even if they were losing some games. Um, fan base in Sacramento has been great supporting. I, I think they can handle two more years for to actually power it out through the future compared to winning one and then spending ten more of not making the playoffs, um, sure. probably being a little overdramatic. But, yeah, I, I worry that maybe there is this eight-seed goal, but I would hope that whatever candidate came in, if they had this, I'm sure part of the interview process is this is what I would want to do with the roster, and I would hope that Vivek is open to multiple possibilities. Um, like I said, I'm definitely a fan of retooling and getting younger. Um, but yeah, I, let, me, let me let me answer your question real quick, or just kind of like closing closing thoughts on them because I think it's an important, particular for these guys who get who get kind of labeled as analytics nerds. And I he I, I don't remember if it was when I was talking to Sasha or when I was talking to to Rosas, but like what what Sasha's role is is not to be like a number analytics guy in in Minnesota, and nor is it anybody's in the front office like. They apply analysis to analytics. Like that's what they that's what they call their analytics guys. So they're analyzing whatever the situation is. Like Sashin goes out and scouts. Like he he is he is just as much crunching numbers and doing CBA stuff as he is, you know, going to games, getting out on the you know, the road to scout and do those sort of things. So, you know, to to make the basketball player, you know, or athlete comparison, like he's he's not a one tool athlete. Like he 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 has experience doing all these different things. He's um he, he's worked obviously substantially in with trade stuff, um, familiar with the collective bargaining agreements, uh knows how to apply analytics to a, a basketball strategy numbers wise, shot selection, all that. But but then also um, kind of, you know, to use the rodeo example, like applying analysis to a game and, and knows how to uh, apply that to, um, you know, just to, to scouting. Like sometimes we, we just, we don't give these guys like credit to the idea that like, okay, yeah, Sasha Gupta did not play college basketball, but that doesn't mean he's been working in the NBA for like 20, 15 years. He, you can learn you can learn how to analyze prospects. You can learn like X's and O's. You can learn that stuff. And and these guys are these guys are brilliant enough to you know to be able to do that. So I, I just wanted to say that like I was I feel kind of bad for some of these stats guys that just get labeled as just one thing trade machine guy, stat right. guy, whatever. Like he's he's uh, more diverse than that. Yeah, like you're saying, that much time around the NBA, I mean, undeniable knowledge of the game for sure paired with um, with that experience. And I think that can kind of transition us to the, the number one pick that the Minnesota Timberwolves ended up uh, lucking into in the lottery there and uh, fitting with what we've talked about with Sashin and, and Rosas as well. My impression is that they seem to be just open to everything, right? There's potential trading back, trading out. 
Um, See, that's and, that PR, man. That's it. Roses, he's pumping it out there. He's a politician. Pumping it out there. It's like, we'll do whatever, you know? So it's like, well, you can't say we, <laughs> you, you can't say you did everything wrong because they said, we'll consider everything. But, but yes, I do. They, they are, they are very clearly, they are very clearly open-minded to considering all, all sorts of things. But I'm telling you, Rosas, Rosas has the politician element of the job down pat. So what do you favor with, with this first pick? Um, I'm sure you have multiple ideas, but where are you leaning right now? Is there a prospect between, is it just between Edwards Ball if you were to keep it? Do you want to look for like a Beal or something like that? What do you, what do you favor with this number one pick? Well, obviously you want to feel. I mean, any any team any team would would want that. That be I think that'd be the optimal situation. I don't think um, there's a realistic situation out there where the Wolves are going to be able to be like, here you go, like the one pick we have James Johnson's like salary fodder and Jared Culver, like come on in, Brad Beal, come on in, Booker or Simmons or whatever. Like those things, that's just unrealistic, you know, given the relatively lesser value, I think, of the number one overall pick. It's just that, that you, I don't think you're going to be able to flip it into anything that special. So so for me, it's just kind of my theory with the Timberwolves of, like, eventually they do need to add that third star. You're not just going to be able to do that right away this year. There's not a guy out there to just go to be had. Um, so so what I think is, is it's about what I'm calling it is like trade back and stack assets. So you kind of, you know, the Knicks have the eight pick. Say they really want LaMelo. Like you grab the eight pick from them and maybe you grab their, their first next season. Like 2021, way better draft. Uh, now the Wolves have that. They also have eight this year to be able to grab someone called like Devin Vassell, something like that. And now you have this like 2021 pick. You have more, you have like, you have more picks where down the line, you can stack your assets into, into you know, enough so that when a player really becomes available, you do have the necessary draft capital you, to be able to go and, and you know, acquire, acquire that sort of player. Um, but, but, yeah, that, that's generally what I think they ultimately will do because it's just, it's just hard to see them being like, yep, here we go, Anthony Edwards or the Mellow Ball. It's, it just doesn't really – fit the Carl Anthony Towns and DeAndre Russell were like 24, 25 years old. Um, doesn't really fit their timeline arc, I, I don't think. Yeah, definitely see where you're coming from there. And I think that, you know, trading down in this draft definitely makes makes a lot of sense, um, especially when, like you said, the top two guys aren't a great fit with the uh, core that you got going on. And I'm curious um, – Actually, real quick, at, well, you also own pick 17 from Brooklyn, and is there guys that, that stick out to you there? Um, I know you've been doing great draft work, by the way. We've done draft profiles. Um, anybody looking for more draft profiles, definitely check out what Dane's doing. Um, is there what, – what are some of your draft crushes, I'll say? I know you're a big Neesmith guy, right? I am a big Neesmith guy, yeah. I have him – I have him like sixth or seventh on my board, um, which – I guess apparently it's now now that I've started to look at other people's boards, um, you know, is a is a lot higher than uh, than normal. And and I, I think for for me, Neesmith really stands out. And I understand he'll probably be more of a late lottery pick around you know where the Kings are. But uh, I think you just can't underrate that he has the size too to be more than um, to be more than just like a shooter. 
I, I think, like, at a minimum, and this is, like, a real minimum, like, he's, like, Firkin Korkmaz, right? Where it's just this big guy who can really shoot the ball. He'll always be able to shoot the ball. There's always going to be room on every team for a guy like that. Now, can he use that size to apply it to more of a off-the-dribble game to be able to, to get to the hoop? I think I think he showed some of that physicality but played a little bit out of control when, when he was attacking the rim at Vanderbilt this year. Um, but but he, I think it's 6'6", 6'11", wingspan, like almost 220. Like that's a big guy to be able to – to be able to play on your wing. The, the issue is is that his defensive film at Vanderbilt was atrocious. And and I think there's two ways to look at that where it's like, okay, um, he's just a bad defender and he's, just, he's exclusively a shooter. But when you factor in that he had the stress fracture in his foot, like a stress fracture is something that like builds over time before it ultimately like breaks. So I think glass half full is – is the idea that 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 foot was bothering him kind of the whole year, and that it was it was slowing him down ultimately before it broke? Like it would it would kind of make sense that if it, it was an issue the whole year, it was slowing down his foot speed. I don't know. I don't know if it is it fully healed and he's able to he's able to move laterally better. He's able to stay in front of a guy. Like that's probably what it's going to take for him to be come an actual two-way player, but but the shot and the physicality for him is, is, is pretty pretty undeniable in my opinion. I see where you're coming from. So a lot of Sacramento is debating, it seems like, or the fan base at least, and probably myself, I think it, it sort of comes down to Neesmith, Bay, and Patrick Williams at 12, and I also have a little bit of Poku interest now, weirdly, um, unless somebody falls, um, obviously. So my thing with Neesmith versus Bay, I, I feel like what you were describing with Neesmith, like Bay fits fairly well. There isn't the wingspan, which which is concerning for a guy um, that prides himself on the defensive end. But Bay has a – it's not the same level as shot, but a really damn promising three-point shot working for him, um, a little bit off the movement. There's a little bit of an off-the-dribble game. And at the same time, like showed really good versatility on the defensive end. and while like there is the concern of his lateral quickness, um, it, it was definitely more showed on that end than Neesmith. So, what is what is your uh, reasoning on like Neesmith compared to Bay? Yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not low on Bay. I, I think Bay's really interesting. He's got kind of that like that like big sort of slow mo attack from the wing game. To it. it kind of reminds me of Joe Ingles in a way. Um, I think. I, I mean, I think for a team who's looking for, for that role player to, to be able to play on the wing, um, Sadiq Bey makes a lot of sense. I think the difference for me is, is while I know the, the three-point percentages for both of them are really comparable, it's just my subjective subjective judgment of the two jump shots is, is I just think Neesmith is a much purer shooter. I think is more will be a more dynamic shooter at the next level. And ultimately, that's kind of like – that's kind of like the selling point on both of them, right? Or certainly, you know, certainly is for Neesmith. And so I I think I think they can be a guy who's going to knock down threes for you in the league, but not necessarily, like, create them for himself. Where, whereas Neesmith, I think, is going to be able to, to create threes for himself off the dribble. But also I think he's elite at, like, getting into space to, to be to, – 
making himself open to create those things. I just think he's going to be a far more dynamic three-point shooter and just score at the next level than Bay is. But it's, it's definitely – I mean, I'm with you where it's, a, it's certainly a safer bet that Bay is going to be – Bay is definitely going to be a better defender than, than Neesmith is. I think we're just talking about a guy who has a chance to be an elite offensive player um, in, in Aaron Neesmith. So that – I'm betting on the, the upside there, I guess, a, a little bit more. Yeah. And, and again, I, sh- I should clarify for the listeners, actually, I did fall off of Neesmith and Bay a little bit at 12 since I've transitioned to after the atrocious uh, Sacramento bubble performance of just going somebody with upside. So that's why I've come around to Poku a little bit and like a Patrick Williams um, sort of thing there. And uh, Williams is weird. His film is just terrible. I know he's 18, but his film is terrible. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I mean, it has to, you know, the the build is obviously appealing. Um, like, there's just only so many of these, like, 6'8 guys. But sure, I'm, I'm totally with that. Like, physically imposing, exciting in that way, I completely agree. Like, and it's why I'm not low on it. Like, I, I think I have Williams, like, 14 for me, which is, is whatever. He's like, just so raw. Like, it, it's these, you know, just dragging the pivot foot. Like, it, it's just... All these like fundamentally like, raw travels aspects. all the travels all the time, like stepping into his jump shot is completely different every time. Like, yeah, you you are totally just if you're drafting him, you are drafting a body, and you better have like a damn good development team to be able to to put something together there. Like, I I don't know. It, it's for the wolf like for the wolves if they didn't um, if they didn't trade the first pick like. <laughs> I would – then I would maybe be okay with taking him at 17 because it's, I don't think you're getting anything out of him like his first couple of years in the league. You know what I mean? So, like, have your, your – you don't want to have your rookie – like, your one rookie be this guy who's like, oh, we're, like, not a playoff team and, and our rookie – our first-round pick doesn't even play. Like, I think he's going to be a guy who doesn't even play in, in his first season. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball and Basketball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champion, we'll go with six-time NBA champion, Robert Ory. See what they had to say and what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. And and the last thing I want to ask you here, uh, obviously in that D'Angelo Russell trade, uh, Minnesota moved on from their draft selection next year. How are you feeling about that in a pretty loaded draft? Obviously, they got the guy, um, you know, to uh, keep Cat happy there and, and a good fit. But, you know, uh, I guess it's a two-headed question of this. Like, how do you feel of not having the draft pick next year? And a lot of that has to do with how well do you think Minnesota will do in this upcoming season? Well, I'll, I'll add a third tentacle to that. It sucks for fake trade making because, one, not only do they not have a 2021 first that they could, like, include in, in some sort of, like if they had that first 
and you had the number one pick, like, okay, now we can, like, start talking, like, some pretty serious draft capital to be able to throw at someone. But they don't have that. And, and worse, it, like, protections on it carry to 2022, which means they can't trade a future first until 2024. So that's why it really just screws up, like, any sort of multiple first-round pick trade. You know what I mean? Yeah, what are, the, prote- what are the protections on it? It's top three protected – in 2021, and then unprotected in 2022. Got it. So I think, I mean, I I would like to think the Timberwolves are not going to have one of the, not going to get a top three pick next year. Like, they're pretty incentivized to win, you know. Like, <laughs> you wouldn't want to have a bad record and, and have that convert, you know, right. I, I don't think. Um, so, so yeah, so th- those are the protections on those two. It's It's, it's one reason why, when I'm talking about my trade back and stack thing, it's why it would, an additional like bonus I think to picking up a 2021 first would be that now you don't have money into like step in roll issues of being able to trade picks in in back to back years. And now I'm forgetting what the other two tentacles of <laughs> of my response are. What was, what was the rest of the question? Um, it was yeah. I mean, it, with it being a strong 2021, yeah, 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 it's just kind of a rough situation, right? For but at the yeah. same time, like it was interesting, you know, your point of pick number one this year, where I, I would think of Minnesota as a team that would look for young talent, but like Cat and Delo aren't the youngest any at this point. No, no, no. Yeah, that's. But it's it's ultimately like, all right. Well, you still got off of Andrew Wiggins, so to me, like. You know, you and I were having this conversation a year ago, and we're like, all right, four more years for Andrew Wiggins, like $130 million or whatever. Like, I would have gladly taken giving up a 2021 first-round pick to be, you know, to be rid of that. So we always got to kind of, like, remember that element of it is, like, Andrew Wiggins isn't on the team anymore. Win. Like, so, so with that, like – if you're obsessed with the 2021 draft, like your scouts are like, oh, yeah, this is going to be like the 03 draft 2.0. Well, then go ahead. Friggin' flip this number one overall pick for a like for something next year. Like you could trade the number one overall pick to like Cleveland or something right now, and they would give you their 2021 pick, I'm assuming. There would be some risk baked in there. It could end up being like the seventh pick in the 2021 draft. But if you're really obsessed with it, it's not like, it's, not like it's impossible for them – to get into it there, like, yeah, it kind of sucks, but going back to the Cat and D'Lo point, you, I don't think they're in a spot where you're trying to add that 19-year-old right now. Like, it's, as you know, with, like, De'Aaron Fox, like, it does take a, it does take a couple years, and particularly with Cat, like, in this Cat window, how many years are left? If you're, if they, even if they got the number one overall pick in 2021, that guy probably isn't going to be enough to, like, really move the needle for, for a couple years from there. And now all of a sudden, you know, Cat's in the Giannis situation right now. Obviously, he's not Giannis's caliber, but it's it's the same sort of thing. So I'm kind of, like, I'm kind of done with, the like, the draft as far as, like, needing to get your star star. Like, make what you can out of this, out of this Cat window and go get your second star via trade. Which leads me to a question I have for you. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, of course. So, so like – and, you know, totally dismiss this um, if, if, I'm, if I'm off base here. But, I, you know, I hear it every single day. Somebody sends me, like, a stupid what the Wolves could trade for Tevin Booker or Ben Simmons, 
you know, sort of offer and even try to get some Giannis ones. And I'm like, all right, so <laughs> like this is like that's not happening. But I do think it's fair to say that De'Aaron Fox like does fall into that Devin Booker ish range. Probably a little less than Devin Booker, I think. Would is that fair to say? Yes, yes. As a prospect, okay. I'm already sure. Yeah, no. So honestly, here, here's just my question: Is like, is it a lock that they're going to give him a max extension? I think it is. I think it is. Okay. I think he's probably like the only exciting piece moving forward. I, I think, yeah, I, I yeah. would think he's the only like lock on the roster. Sure. Okay. Right. Which was my assumption, but. Just like in general, and we don't even need to apply this to the Wolves, like, is there any bit of you, if you were Sasha Gupta moving in to take the Kings gig, where you would go, am I sure I want to lock into De'Aaron Fox on a max contract for the, the next year, five years, rather than being able to trade him on the last year of his rookie scale deal for probably a pretty substantial return? Is, is that at all intriguing? I personally would not be a fan, but I see the logic to it if you're like, okay, I, I don't know how we make it work around Fox. Like, he's the only young piece. So if you were tearing everything down, I could That's see what how saying. that could also include Fox. Like, it, it's possible. I, I'm not a fan of it, and I don't think they would do it, but I see where you're coming from. I, I just feel like – I'm with you. It's probably not going to – I just don't understand why Fox's name never comes up. Like. He's worse than Booker and Simmons in a similar, like, in a similar stage of his career and hasn't yet signed his max deal yet. So there's kind of like, if it were to happen, if you were to get traded, it would make sense, you know, for the Kings to do it before they locked him into, to their max con, to, to like some sort of, some sort of max deal. So I don't know. I mean, it's just, I guess more so the question is when I'm, you know, I've just been playing around with like, fake number one trades and since the Wolves kind of landed the pick because I ultimately think that's going to do it. And I come up to Sacramento and I'm just like, I honestly don't even know what the answer is. Like there's pretty much for every team, right? Like there's a price. Like there's a price that the Kings probably would agree to trade De'Aaron Fox to some team. Maybe the Wolves don't have enough assets, but maybe it's maybe it's the Thunder or the Pelicans or somebody who's loaded. Like what do you, if you were the Kings GM taking over for DDOTs, like, what would be that price for you to basically forego paying De'Aaron Fox a max contract? I don't hate paying him. And, like, I, I do think uh, – I worry about his defense, I think, more than more than uh, some people do. Um, but I, I actually think that, like, he – you know, I've heard the term a lot recently, especially this crazy Boston-Toronto series, like, he's a gamer. He – steps up to the big moments, um, and, like, a part of it is that he wants to be in Sacramento, and that's that's pretty rare. I'm paraphrasing, but there was a quote after this season, something along the lines of, like, I want to be here because the, the fan base is great, and when you do finally win here, it would just be an amazing feeling to be the leader of that, and I think that Fox likes to be the leader. Um so, and obviously, like you said, like, there is a price. I don't – I'd have to think about it a bit more before I throw out something and regret what I say. Um, I mean, I just think, like, there's got – like, 
I'm not even I'm not not even approaching this from the, from the Timberwolves lens because I ultimately I don't like I don't think really think that that would be the best option. But I don't know. Maybe I'm gonna I'm sure a bunch of your listeners are like diehard Fox fans, so I'm not even like trying to. Oh yeah, you're popular. Sashin's not coming, and we're traded Fox. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I just like at some point you got to go like all right. I don't think De'Aaron Fox is probably like a number one, right? Right. And and like, we're, if we're talking like championship, championship, he's probably not a number two either. So it's, I think you got to consider it. Basically, I think I think it, it should be in like the realm of possibilities that that whoever takes over that GM job, like they got to see what is what is the offer that would be put on the table for it. Because I don't know, man. Like. <laughs> Look at the Thunder. Like look like look at the Thunder. And I know I know Fox isn't gonna bring back like what what Paul George did. But what if it was kind of close? Like right. you're you're saying you're saying like rebuilds like rebuilds the way to, way to go, like retool. And if we don't think De'Aaron Fox is a superstar, which I think you and I are on the same page of. And I like Fox. I, I do like Fox. I but, think Steelink, he could be that number two guy, but we're not too far off. I do too. I, I do too. But I mean, like, yeah. He, it's just like, I don't know if I'm a Kings fan, if I'm like, yep, here goes the rebuild and we're doing it around Deer and Fox. Like, I know for me, that's what I've experienced with Carl Anthony Towns. And it's like, ultimately why I think the Wolves are probably like, this is destined to not work is because they're, making a plan that is built around Carl Anthony Towns being the number one. And ultimately I think he's not that like, I don't, yeah. I don't think, he, I don't think he, whether that's, and I, I can't, I can, I can't speak to like Darren Fox. I don't know, like haven't talked to him or obviously I'm not watching as many Kings games as, as you have, but it's just, I'm just telling you from, I guess, what is the wolves are with cat, like basically two years in advance of where you're at with Fox right now. And they're pretty much like gung-ho down this path of like evolve our team to be everything cat, everything, everything, everything cat. And everything we do is build around him. Well, what's the, what is the ceiling of that? Like what is the, what is the best outcome when ultimately like what is Carl Anthony Towns the 12th best player in the NBA? What is Darren Fox? What, like, the 16th best player in the NBA? Like, is that the relative? It, it, I just don't know if it's a great idea to, like, if your ultimate goal is winning a championship, to be like, yep, here we go. We're going to win a championship, and our best player to do it is going to be Carl Anthony Towns or it's going to be Darren Fox. Like, right. if, we're being, if we're being real about it, like, I don't think either of those things are that realistic, which <laughs> brings me to the idea of, like, I think – you got to put players of that caliber together. You got to put De'Aaron Fox and Carl Anthony Towns together, and whatever. Like I think it has to be on the Wolves. Like whatever, Carl Anthony Towns goes to the Kings, so the Kings go get Devin Booker or, or whoever that may be. I just, I think you're just kind of setting yourself up to lose if you're like, "Yep, De'Aaron Fox is, is the the king of the Kings." Yeah, and, and I think that the idea is that you know the hope was obviously Bagley to be the the star guy and, and Fox to sort of be the, the number two there. And obviously that hasn't panned out amazingly, but, um, and, and that's kind of why I'm, you know, be 
they're going to be freaking bad in 2021. Yeah. And you would hope to get a guy in the draft. This is why I'm favoring building through the draft that can be better than Fox, because I agree with you. Like Fox can't be your number one guy if your if your goal is a championship, which it should be. Right. Um, and you're, you're totally right. That that is the, that's the total fair counter argument. Is you go, yeah. Well, just because we signed Darren Fox to a max doesn't mean he's our number one. Like we're gonna go. We're going to win the lottery and get Cade Cunningham. But I see what you're saying. Like, he's probably the best value right now in that value, or uh, the best asset right now in the the value falls when he signs that max. I just think when we're sitting around here with, like, this endless offseason and and you're you're playing around with it, I I keep coming back to it, and I'm like, I don't really – I just feel like Darren Fox has been put in the, like – you know, now I'm into, like, fantasy football where you have, like, the – your players on your team that you can't cut to have, like, the X on them. Right. Like, I feel like De'Aaron Fox has one of those over. I'm like, can't trade. And I don't, I don't know. I, I, I personally, as someone who's much further removed from the Kings than you are or all, all of your listeners are, that just, like, doesn't totally line up in my head. And I would wonder if whoever they hire to be the GM might think in that way, too. Or, you know, might at least be considering – moving him sometime in, in the next few years. Right. I, I see where you're coming from. Um, you know, another part of it, obviously, like he's just so clearly on a tier above everybody else on the roster. Uh, no, so, and right. <laughs> and, uh, and the PR of it, like the fan base is in love with him. And like I said, he likes being in Sacramento, which is right. Great. That's the stuff like I can't, that I miss out on, you know, not, not being there, not, not, and that's something that stuff matters. That matters from a business standpoint, like 100%. Right. I think that factors into the equation. Yeah. So. But, yeah. What about Heald? What about Heald? Oh, I think Heald – my guess is Heald's gone. So, um, if it's I, I think to the Wolves, yeah. what, like, what are you – like, how much are you looking back for that? Like, I trade that the Wolves would be James Johnson as the money. It's just an expiring, like, $16 million contract. Like, do you just do – James Johnson expiring and Jarrett Culver for Buddy Heald? Um, and you're just off the money? Or, or I don't know. I mean, I mean would I, you I do, like, Johnson, Culver, and 17? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I would. I don't think that's, a, like, a great Buddy Heald contract. Right. And, and, and I think when you apply it, yeah, when you apply it to the Wolves, too, like, every trade needs to be looked through, through the lens of, like, all right, so you're adding this guy to play next to, Towns and Russell, who have been chronically poor defenders, so right. Buddy Heald is just just like Zach Levine is another name that you know is kind of thrown out there. It's like I, <laughs> I don't know how you how you, it's probably just like a like a non-starter. So I think like if the Wolves did just go all in on offense, I could see them going with Heald, but almost as like a salary filler in a way for like their future deal, like. All right, we pick up Heald for this. Like the, the new GM of the Kings just doesn't want anything to do with Heald, so they're like, they're like, let's just get him out of here, get his bad deal off the books. I could see the Wolves like absorbing that for James Johnson and Jared Culver's not nothing. He was the sixth pick last year, like he had right. a bad rookie year, but I, I could, I could maybe see that. But once we start talking about, I just, <laughs> I don't think if you're the Kings, you're getting a first plus another guy who is a 
a first last year. But I but I don't know. I don't, but I guess that's kind of the point of me asking the question is no, I don't uh, understand what his value is exactly. Yeah, and, and it's rough, and, you know, it, it sucks because, if anything, I think it would be more healed asking out rather than the GM deciding that he should get out of here. Um, mm-hmm. Just kind of reading between the lines with all of his uh, – he's not shy with his quotes – um, and uh, I've noticed that <laughs> not being uh, content with coming off the bench and the whole Walton situation, Walton just terribly misutilized healed um, on both ends of the floor. So it, it's a rough situation. And going into that big contract, um, we floated around like what, like Tim Hardaway Jr. in the 18th pick, who's like expiring, or you know, like I, I think our favorite one that maybe is a bit of a dream is like is Indiana, like, worried about this log jam, which I don't know if they are, and, like, could you get Miles Turner? Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, the the values... I kind of like the Mavs one, like... Right, it's a little bit of a placeholder, by like, the way. I, yeah, well, I'm more so thinking... Basically, if I'm being honest, I'm looking at any sort of, like, Buddy Heald trade as on the other side first of, like can or would this team stomach it? Like, how would they be incentivized to take on a $94 million contract? Right. And I think with the Mavs, you go, like, I mean, we'll take, like, that's a shooter right there. And then that's kind of like a step in the right direction for next year. And if he comes, they're like, ah, but does that kill their cast base then for 2021? Right. I think it would. And I was shocked that some Hawks writers were, like, interested in, like, absorbing him into the cap space because, like, what else are they going to get for pick six? But I tend to disagree with the cap space thing because I'm like, you can get a Joe Harris or, like, Malik Beasley that, like, kind of fills the same role for way less. I mean, half, probably. Right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I think that would be. But I I do, I mean, I think I'm generally, like, a pro-Buddy guy. Um, more Probably, I think I'm higher on Buddy, relatively speaking, than I am um, Fox. Obviously, Fox is a far superior player. But I, I just, I would love to see Buddy healed not in Sacramento, put it like that, and see, like, yeah, I just, like two years ago, like around the All-Star break, I'm like, Buddy healed is, he shoots like 48% from three. Like, what more do you need? What more did they, like, he wasn't like that far away from being an All-Star. Right. It, 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 it felt like. And now we're like, ah, I don't know. This dude sucks. Like, makes $20 million, $20-something million a year. Like, yeah, there, there is, there is a reclamation. There's a reclamation, like, path out there for Buddy Heald next year where he's all of a sudden, like, on the Rockets or whatever, and he's scoring 27 points a game and is shooting, like, 45% from three. Like, I don't think that's... For sure. Like, out of the realm of possibilities at all for him. And... It might be out of the Roman possibilities if he stays in Sacramento. So, yeah, know. it's going to be hilarious when Luka Doncic and Buddy Heald are just going crazy on the Dallas Mavericks. It's it's <laughs> going to be so fun for Kings fans. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Yeah, man, you guys are I, – I I can speak from it from having been there. You guys are uh, approaching some some times, some dark times ahead. But, like, <laughs> but if you – like, it's going into the tank – is not as bad when you, like, see the path out of it. You know what I mean? Right. Like, which I think that seems to be where the Kings could be going here, where it's like, you know what, 2021, not a bad year to suck, right? Get uh, get a good pick. Now we have De'Aaron Fox. He's starting his new 
contract. We're building on him, Cade Cunningham, whatever, like on our, on our way back out. It's when the worst is when you're just like, ah, we're one of the worst teams in the West and probably will be for the next three or four years. Like that, that's the bad, bad. And I don't know. I mean, you guys just got to like shed a year of salaries from all those guys and, and you got to, you got to hit the 2021 draft. Right. Uh, yeah, it's scary because they kind of fall under both categories here with uh, yeah. debating on a couple different moves. But, uh, yeah, I've been running for a little while here, Dana. I really appreciate you coming on and taking the time out of your day, man, talking about Sashin and, and uh, draft and a couple other things here. And, yeah, definitely everybody, like I said, you're doing great uh, great work. I, I'm super interested in the Timberwolves, weirdly. I, I had a friend that uh, – or have a friend. I act like something happened to him. Um <laughs> Uh, that was just jumped on in when he was in Chicago, uh, got drafted by uh, in his 2K team by the Minnesota, or by the Chicago Bulls and just became a huge Jimmy Butler fan and has followed Jimmy yeah. everywhere he's gone. And when he ended up in Minnesota, I followed it a bit as well and since then have been very interested in Minnesota. Um, but that was a long lead up to me saying you do a great job covering the team. Um, so anybody interested, definitely check out your work and you're doing general draft stuff that applies to Sacramento definitely as well. Um, so yeah, thanks Dane. I appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, man. Anytime. Always fun to just shoot the shit about the NBA, particularly when who knows when we're going to be back to some actual relevant information with the league. And this is kind of all we can do right now. Like, I don't want to hear any pushback from anybody like, Oh my God, that's such a terrible idea. It's like, what the hell are we supposed to talk about? It's the middle right. of September. And, I mean, you, like, the Kings at least went to the bubble. The Wolves the Wolves are not going to play a game, a basketball game. Like, if we don't start till January, they're going to play a basketball game for 10 months. Like, oh. 10 months. So, I mean, it's it, it's hard times out here in the, the content creation industry in the NBA. So I appreciate you you uh, sticking with it, too. And, like, Man, if, if there's ever a time for people to get into the draft, like get into the draft, right? Like, right. just watching these guys. I got for me, I've never been a draft guy, like, and I've just like that was my quarantine activity. It's just like plowing through film on synergy of these dudes, and I think it's gonna be. I, I'm so glad I did that because that's gonna be such like a to be so interesting to follow the next three years of like how soup like you and I talking about like. Clearly, you don't like me, Smith, like I do. Or I, how is you know how is that going to all play out? Actually, have like a draft take based off of your own film watching, and not just like oh, I read like sixteen different mock drafts, and this is what they said. I've made my take out of other people's takes. Like I think it's the thing to do. Like go out there and watch some. You can watch all of the Mellow Balls games on like YouTube or Facebook. Like just don't turn one of those on. I think it's I think it's a it's a totally worthwhile basketball activity. Definitely is, especially for Timberwolves and, and Kings fans. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks, Dane, for coming on, and, and thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, check out thekingsherald.com for great independent Kings coverage. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review. You'll hear from us again in the next couple of days here.